Go ahead and grab a seat. Um, I'm kind of going to steal your mingling time um, because I just have so much to say, um, which nobody is shocked by, right? Um, I didn't figure. Um, thank you, Tamara. Um, I'm rolling with paper again today because um, if you didn't know, I moved yesterday, which is awesome. I'm officially a Ralstonite. Um, but I can't find my iPad. I had to go buy an, uh, a, my, a charger for my iPhone. Like, things are just in disarray. <clears throat> I had some awesome people help me, and so I'm not going to complain one iota. Um, I'll find things eventually. Um, I don't, you know, this morning's been kind of challenging for sure, but I tell you what, this week's been challenging too. I've, I don't think I've ever been ex as excited to preach as I am right now. Um, it was amazing what God did as I was preparing this sermon in me. Um, and so I'm excited to share that with you today. Um, it is an honor for me to serve as one of your pastors, and, and I'm thankful for that opportunity and for that honor. Um, I do not take it lightly. Um, I take this very seriously, and, and, uh, and I, I just want to say thank you uh, first and foremost. So what we're going to do this week is continue in this four-week series that we're in on the life-giving practices. Um, we're doing this series right now because it's a good time for us to focus on us. Right? I mean, we were in a series for a long time that was really focused on the Old Testament, seeing who God is and what he cares about, but it's, it's nice to take a break from that and really just focus on, on us, um, who we are as a church, who we want to be as followers of Christ, and at Finding Life Church, we've chosen to be a values-driven church, a kingdom-focused, values-driven church. Values are who we are. They shape who we are as people, they dictate how we live, the decisions we make. Every single person lives by a set of values. Not everybody chooses them, though. And, and we've, on purpose, chosen our core values. We've decided who we want to be as Christ followers. We want to be surrendered, dependent, authentic, gracious, focused, immersed, multipliers. That's who we want to be, Right? But it's not like you can just wake up in the morning, snap your fingers, and be those things. I wish it were that simple. But it's not. And so we practice. We practice life-giving prayer, life-giving truth, life-giving relationships, and life-giving impact. We practice these things in our life groups and also just as we live life. <clears throat> I brought my water because I thought it might be one of those days. Um, so excuse me. Um, and as we practice, God shows up. He shows up and he changes us from the inside out. He puts these values into our hearts, and then we live them out. Last week, we looked at life-giving prayer uh, with the truth that prayer is mostly about being with God. That is right. Okay. My memory works. This week, we're going to dive into life-giving impact, and I know that if you're in life group, that probably seems a little backwards to you because we do life-giving impact at the end. Um, I'm just doing it that way because the person that I, I would really love to share on life-giving truth is gone this week, so we're going to flip it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And order doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, it, we, we do them in a certain order, and I do them in a certain order just because I'm that way. Like, I'm a rule follower, and I'm a, I, I like having, having lists, and I like doing things first, second, third, but it doesn't really matter. Um, first, I want to define uh, life-giving impact, and then I'm going to bring up my friend Derek. I don't know where he's sitting. He's in here somewhere, probably. Oh, he's already over there. Cool. I'm going to bring up my friend Derek, and he's going to share a little bit about how this practice has impacted his life. Um, one of the things we're doing in the series is we really want to just tell stories, because stories are powerful. Stories of life change, of transformation, because 
We're all searching for what's worth living for, right? And I want more people to hear the change that can happen when God meets us with these practices because that's what we're after, and I want to hear more stories like that. So in a second, I'm going to bring Derek up, and he's going to share. First, I just want to define life-giving impact. Simply put, it is praying for people in our lives, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, people that are on our path. We're praying that God would draw them into relationship with himself and that in turn, they would be given passion for others to find that relationship with God as well. It starts with the belief that the single most important thing in life is a person putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, because it is. John 10.10, this is Jesus. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. While we're in this world, our faith is not just about eternal life. It is awesome, but it's about this life. While we're in this world, when we put our faith and hope in Jesus, he will give us life, real life, abundant life. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men, which we must be saved. Again, this is the eternal life part. That life that we receive following Jesus in this world, it extends forever. It has no end. So we pray, and then we watch with anticipation as God does his thing, as God works in the hearts of people. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know at what pace God is going to do his work and how he's going to move. But we believe that he will, and we believe that he wants us to be involved. That is our truth for this morning. God wants us involved. He wants us involved in the miracle of drawing people into relationship with himself every single day. And I'm going to break right there, and I'm going to bring out Derek. Um, And Derek is going to just share for a few minutes about how this practice has impacted him. Um, And so, yeah, I'll just turn it over to him. I'll step out of his way and let him get going. A few minutes. Hey, Derek, however long you want to talk, man. I don't don't have a whole lot of words. Don't go 10 minutes. (laughs) All right, so when uh, when Travis asked me a couple weeks ago to talk about life-giving impact, um, actually, he kind of gave me a Maybe an option. Anna was had the option of doing one. I had the option of doing others. And I was like, life-giving impact, that's that's no problem. That's pray and watch. And what matters most is people finding Jesus. So um, that was about it. But really when, when I got to thinking about it this week and reflecting on how that's really impacted my life, how um, really wanting for others, for the people that I'm around every day, even strangers, people I haven't met yet, people I'm going to meet, people maybe that aren't so great to me or maybe I'm not so great to them, wanting a relationship for them, wanting them to have a relationship with Christ and what what that's done in my heart. Um, The first thing that I started to think about is who I am in relationship with people when I'm depending on myself and when I'm depending on others to build those relationships. And then... Hello? And then what it looks like when God is the one that's, that's doing the work in those relationships. Um, you know, in the past and even today, I mean, this is who I am. I've got, yeah, I've sort of had relationships. What am I doing? Where, um, what? Okay. All right. So 
I was saying in the past, you know, I've had, and, and this happens now too because this is who I am. I'm a pretty selfish person when it comes to relationships. Um, you know, it's like, what can you do for me? What have you done for me lately? Um, are you living up to these ridiculous standards that I set for you that maybe I probably don't even adhere to myself? And I've had relationships in the past with people that are fairly close to me where, you know, you screw up and you're out of my life. Like, that's it. I've gone a year and a half without speaking to close friends. My oldest sister and I uh, had a couple years where, where she did something that I didn't like, so I completely shut her out for a very long period of time. But um, really what, what the Pray and Watch lifestyle is, has done in my heart, what God's done in my heart through that is realize that, um, or at least try to get a glimpse of, of how he sees people and how everybody's worth it and how really it's not up to me to decide um, who's worth love and who isn't. So um, it's crazy how excited you get when you're seeing people every day that you're praying for and how exciting it is, for me at least, to just to wait and see what God's gonna do in their life and it forces this relationship that I'm not even like, like I'm a total introvert. I don't get energy from people. I could sit in my basement for like four days straight and, and be alone and be totally fine with that. But, but when I'm engaging in these relationships through Pray and Watch, it's like, man, I gotta see these people. I gotta see what's happening in their lives and I gotta be there because maybe God wants to use me. Um, maybe I can have these real, real relationships and grow closer to these people and maybe, maybe God will show up and they'll see, you know, this awesome, this awesome stuff that I know, this awesome way of life that I know. So, um, yeah, you know, I think probably the biggest impact that it's had is just showing me how to love people, showing me how to see, see people through, through God's eyes, eyes, or at least get a small glimpse of that, um, and really being excited to be around these people that I'm praying for. So. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, give him a hand. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate that. Here, take that with you. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to thank Derek for sharing. Um, you know, as I was preparing for this, that is one of the big things that I wanted to talk about is, is not just, yeah, we're, we're, there's going to be an impact on the people that we're praying for, but there's a huge impact on our hearts as well as we go through this and do this practice. And the thing that I'm, I'm most struck by um, is that a simple thing like this can have such a dramatic effect on people. Um, it's had a dramatic effect on me. And, and that's kind of where I want to start today. Hopefully you guys grabbed a worship flyer. Um, and I have a little outline on the backside of that. Um, if you want to follow along, you don't, certainly don't have to. But where I want to start today is with that idea. Because what Derek's describing, what I'm going to describe is incredibly simple. Um, but we have a tendency to make mission, um, Jesus' mission in the world, we have a tendency to make it harder than it needs to be. That's where I want to begin. Um, as followers of Christ, our purpose is really clear, right? Um, to know him and to make him known. If we read Matthew 28, this is the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there it is, plain and simple, right? Make disciples. That's our purpose. Spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Peter describes believers, and I said this last week, as, as holy priests, God's special possession. And we are to declare his praises to the world. So the bottom line is, as soon as we enter belief in Jesus, we have a mission. Like, 
It's not like a ramp-up period. It's like, all right, you believe? Let's go. We have a mission. And, and you know, I haven't been a part of a lot of churches, um, but I've been around long enough to know that the church has become a place to go, and the mission has become one of the things that it does. It's become a program, not the purpose as it's intended to be. Well, at Finding Life Church, that's not at all who we are. We don't believe that the church has a mission. We believe that the mission has a church. The mission has a body of people that are doing the mission. But the question that I started asking myself as I was thinking about this is, what do I mean by mission? And what do I mean about by proclaiming his praises to the world? Um, do I mean that you need to go stand on a street corner and start yelling at people? Hey, Jesus loves you. Repent or you're going to hell. Like we've all seen that, right? We've seen that on TV. I don't know that I've ever seen it in person. Um, but I would probably go say something. But I've never seen it in person, but I've seen it. And a lot of times that's how the, the world depicts evangelists is just people that say crazy things like that. Even with all of our, our varying backgrounds, I'm pretty sure that we all have experienced like good friends, well-intentioned people that have made mistakes in how they share their faith. Maybe not that severe, right? Haven't ever seen anybody do that. But we've all had friends or we've done it ourselves. We've made mistakes in how we share, shared our faith. And because of that, we've maybe hurt somebody or pushed somebody away from the faith. As, as human beings, we naturally seek comfort. We avoid confrontation. We take the path of least resistance. And because we don't want to rub people the wrong way, our faith has become something that we keep private. We just rather keep it to ourselves because we don't want to hurt anybody, anybody's feelings. Matter of fact, I was at a, a meeting with a bunch of pastors a couple weeks ago, and I heard this statistic that 95%, it was a study, 95% of Christ followers never share their faith, which is just crazy. I don't necessarily think it's something we feel great about. I mean, it's not like we, we go home at night and say, yeah, I didn't share my faith today, succeeded. Um, most of us right now or in the past have carried some level of guilt because of that. I've heard people I know well say that, that they feel guilty because they don't share their faith more. Well, the first thing I want to do today is release you from that guilt. You do not have to carry that burden because it's not your role to argue and it's not your role to change people. And being burdened is just not something Jesus wants for you. If we read in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The burden is light because we're not doing the heavy lifting here. God's doing the heavy lifting. He's the one doing the work. The practice of life-giving impact, or as we call it, pray and watch, a pray and watch lifestyle, starts with the belief that God is in charge, has the power, and is doing the work. Another stat that I saw or heard in that same meeting is that 83% of Christ followers are uncomfortable or anxious about sharing their faith. So basically, we feel uncomfortable or anxious, and so we don't do it, and then we feel guilty. It's a lot of feelings uh, that we don't have to feel. My goal today is to help you see how you can have an impact, an internal impact, not just a, 
right in front of your face impact, a lasting impact. And you can do that without feeling uncomfortable, and you can do it without feeling guilty. What I want to call us to today is, is simple, simple living, simple mission. The truth is we make mission way harder than it needs to be. And I want to read a couple of verses from the Gospel of John, if you want to follow along. Um, these are, are words straight out of the mouth of Jesus, the person we are following. John 6, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. John 6, 63, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are, are spirit and life. So in these two verses, Jesus making some pretty clear black and white statements, right? First, nobody, zero people, none are coming to Jesus, believing in Jesus, unless God the Father is drawing them to himself. As much as we like to think we're going to save people, Jesus is pretty clear in verse 63 that, that our effort accomplishes nothing. It is the Spirit that is doing the work in us and through us. My hope is that these verses release you from any guilt that you might feel and calm any anxiety that you have about sharing your faith. That they would free you to first and foremost just pray. Again, as Jesus instructs us in Luke 10, uh, verse 2, these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So obviously an agricultural metaphor, something we get in Nebraska, right? There's not enough workers in the fields. The fields are the people that need to know Jesus that don't know Jesus yet. And we're to pray for more workers, more kingdom laborers to help us in the mission. And God is in charge of fulfilling that, not us. So our job is to pray. And so number two on your outline is uh, we're going to talk about what that looks like. So uh, praying. In this practice, praying and watching has two parts. In the first part, we're praying for God to draw specific people to himself, into a relationship with him. Now, a lot of you are, you've, you've heard this, you've been living it for so long that this is probably a lot of refresher for you. There may be people in the room that haven't heard it yet. And even if you have, like seriously tune in because it can re-energize and refocus you on why we do this in life group and why we do this as we live our lives. So the first part, again, we're praying for God to draw specific people to himself into relationship with him because there can be no greater impact on somebody's life than to put their trust in Jesus Christ as, as their Lord and Savior. It is life-changing, and that life change lasts forever into eternity. And the second part of the prayer is just as important because we want the good news about Jesus to spread through the world like wildfire. And so we pray that as people are drawn into relationship with him, that they would be lit on fire with a passion for others to know him too. So you put those two parts together, and then you have what we call the five-second prayer. Quote, unquote, God, please draw blank to yourself and make them a kingdom laborer. Now, the exact words, they're not magic or anything. You can say this probably a hundred different ways. Um, another example would be, God, please bring blank into relationship with you and give them a passion for others to know you too. That's simple enough, right? A five-second prayer. It's pretty simple. Okay, so now let's move to number three. Who are we praying for? For who are we praying for? We are praying for people that God has put in our lives. This doesn't have to be difficult. 
okay? We all have friendships and families and people that we work with and people that live in our neighborhoods. We put names on a, on a list, and even you don't even really need a list. You can keep it all up there in your mental Rolodex if you want. Um, it's not about a list. We put the names of these people together because we care about them, and we put them on our praying watch list. And here's the thing that I wanted to, to make sure I was clear on when we started this is you don't have to make a judgment about a person to put them on, to, for them to be somebody that you're going to pray for, okay? Um, you don't have to know where they stand with Jesus to, to pray for them. I mean, even if they're a Christ follower, who could not benefit from being closer to God and having more passion for his kingdom? We all can benefit from that. So to be clear, we're not trying to find the most broken people and putting them on our praying watch list. You know why? Because we're just as broken as they are. We are just as broken as they are. And so we pray for the people on our path. Whenever they come to our mind, when we see them, when we sit down with them um, at any point during our day, or, you know what, we sit down at the end of the day and we pray through our list. Now, it doesn't stop there, though, because we want this to be a lifestyle. We don't want to just do it to somehow check a box. We don't want to just do it in life group. We want to do this as we live our lives. And so you can pray for anyone. You can pray for the people that you go, come across at the coffee shop, at the gas station, at the restaurant you eat at. People you don't even know who their name, you don't know their names. You can pray for them. And as you do, as Derek said, you'll watch as God will change you from the inside out. He will change you and show you what is important in life. He will refocus you and get you to see people the way that he sees them. Okay, so the next part of this practice, this is number four on your outline, is the watching part. What does that mean to watch? I don't know about you, when I hear the word watch, I think of laying on my couch and doing nothing, um, which I'm going to do some of that right after we get done today. It's going to be fantastic. Um, we'll, we'll see if my kids will let me take a nap today. I'm hoping it happens. Um, but here's the thing. The word watch is not meant to be passive at all in, in this equation. It is meant to be active. Because you, uh, oh, sorry. It's active, and it takes intentionality, and it takes love. Like, it's not going to happen on accident. You have to do it on purpose. We want to intentionally grow closer to people that we are praying for. We don't have to have a relationship with them to start praying, but... As we're praying, we want to build relationships. We want to grow closer to them. Because the more we're around them, the more we'll grow and respect them. The more we're around them, the more we'll see God working. Because sometimes the steps are small. And if you're not close to somebody, you can't see them. But if you're with people, living with them in an anticipation, expecting God's work, you will see it. Of course, it is important for us all to remember that God's work is in his timing. He's, he's in charge of the timing. He's in charge of the pace. So it's easy at times to get frustrated, but I've heard many a stories. Um, one really good one from Jake about, he used to work at Wheatfields, and he still prays for people he used to work with there, and it's been a long time. But you know what? Sometimes they pop back up in his life, and they need him, and he gets the chance to share the gospel with them. And that opportunity would not exist if it weren't for him praying for them and living with them for all of these years. So you, you don't know the pace at which it's going to happen, and it's easy to get discouraged, but don't, because God will do his thing. You could say, uh, okay, so something, something else that happens that as we grow closer to people we're praying for is it becomes natural for us to share our faith with them. 
Now, you might be thinking, Travis, you just told us, don't worry about that, right? Okay, I just hear me out on this, okay? It becomes easier as we grow closer to people to have a natural conversation about our faith. It's never something that's forced. And in my experience, generally, the other person brings it up. It's not even something that I have to initiate. Now, you could say that's because I went from sales manager to pastor, and that's really weird, right? And I'll give you that. I do get that question a lot because people are like, well, how'd that happen? Um, and it makes it really easy for me. Uh, but, I, but I do believe that it's also because of how I've chosen to live my life. And I'm not tooting my horn because it is God working in me, not me. It is not by my doing. We've talked about this before, this idea of living a questionable life, right? Jake preached on it last year. We talked about it when we did the movie Rudy. I remember he talked about it again. Um, we want people to see how differently we live, how different we are than the norm. We want our lives to be intriguing and questionable to people. Now, not because of our moral goodness or because we're really good at avoiding sin, but because we look different in the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we give, and in the way that we sacrifice. So much so that the people around us in our lives, the people we've been loving and praying for, are like, why are you like this? And then we can tell them that it's because of Jesus and what he's done in our lives, and we can tell them that he is the reason for the hope that we have. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, maybe the reason that 95% of Christ followers never share their faith isn't because we aren't prepared. But maybe it's because it's hard to know how to get into the conversation. I mean, it's not like I'm watching a football game with a bunch of buddies and at the commercial break I'm going to go, hey, let's talk about Jesus. That's awkward, right? It would never happen. I would never do that. And it, wouldn't, it, would, it would probably get me disinvited the next time. Um which there's several reasons that could happen, right? <laughs> Talking about me here. Um, the solution, then, has absolutely nothing to do with you sharing your faith and everything to do with following Jesus. Okay, let me say that again. It has absolutely nothing to do with you sharing your faith and how good you are at that. It has everything to do with you following Jesus. If we are following Jesus and following his example of giving and loving and sacrificing, we won't be sharers. We're just going to be answerers. We won't have to get into the conversation. We'll just be answering a sincere question from our friends. And when we answer that question, all we're doing is being authentic. You're sharing with a friend why you are who you are. You are sharing what has shaped you. And every single person, no matter who they are or what they believe, has something that has shaped them into the person that they are today. And that's all you're sharing. We are followers of Christ. He is not somebody that we're interested in. It's not a hobby of ours. He is somebody we're giving our lives to. He defines us. He is our identity. And identity shapes who we are, the choices we make, and how we live our lives. Everything flows from identity. We want Jesus to ooze from our lives so much so that people can't help but be thrown off and just ask why. You know, I realize that as I'm describing this and talking through it, that um, one of the things, I'm a sales guy, okay, by training, and my brain still hasn't left that world uh, uh, completely. And so as I speak, one of the things I always think about is objections, potential objections that might exist um, that I need to handle before I close the deal. Um, 
And, and, I, and I thought, this is a good time for me to bring this up, because I've heard an objection to this pray and watch lifestyle before. And as I'm talking about it, it just, it does, it fits really good. But one of the things I've heard people say is that it makes people, it makes them uncomfortable to do this because they feel like they have an ulterior motive, motive of some kind. Because it makes them feel like they're only developing friendships and relationships because they want people to find Jesus, and so they don't feel real and authentic when they do it. Um, they feel like they have some kind of an agenda. Um, and I, I put a fair amount of thought into this because I felt that way a little bit in the beginning too, I think. Um, and I even looked up the definition of ulterior motive. Um, did you guys know it's spelled with a U? I had no idea. So I always thought, I've been living my life for 36 years thinking you spelled it ulterior. It's actually ulterior, U-L, right? I'm learning here, people. I'm getting smarter. This whole thing is teaching me stuff. It's great. Um, okay, here's the definition of ulterior motive. If you have an ulterior motive, now I pronounce it different too. <laughs> Um, if you have an ulterior motive for doing something, you do it partly because you think you will get some advantage from doing it. People have an agenda or an ulterior motive when they're trying to get something for themselves. Pray and watch, loving people, loving them for the sake of them knowing Jesus is in no way self-serving. I'm not getting anything out of that. They're getting everything. It's not for me. I want people to experience what I've experienced, what I've experienced since knowing Christ, the hope, the peace, the love that only can be found in him. I want people to experience life, real life. And that want that I have in no way benefits me. I think the important thing about not having an ulterior motive is actually not to have one. We aren't making friendships or investing in friendships that have any requirement or expectation on the other person at all. No requirement, no expectation. We aren't making friendships that will end if that person says no to Jesus, right? We're just going to keep praying and loving. We aren't making friendships with people, and then they find their faith, and then they decide to go to another church, and then our friendship ends. No. Like, we, we're, we're praying for people to find life in Jesus. Does it matter where they attend church or, where, or what community of, of, of Christ followers they join up with? No. We're happy that they found a community right? So no ulterior motives. If you don't want to have one, then just don't have one. Make friendships, build friendships, love and pray for people, no strings attached. Uh, okay, so that brings us to the last point on your outline. Six points. I bet you guys when you saw that, you thought, oh man, this is going to be a long sermon. But I actually think I timed it this week. It's one of my shorter ones. So I don't know if it's actually playing out that way. We'll find out. <laughs> Um, so the last point I have for you is what is the impact of life-giving impact? I like that. The impact of life-giving impact. And Derek talked about this, okay? One of the impacts is on you as the person praying. There is two impacts, and the other one is on the other person. Just like last week, I want to build on what Derek said. I want to share my story as well. Stories are powerful, and I believe that they are meant to be shared. Like, we're supposed to share stories because they can strengthen our faith. They can give us more passion. They can bring us closer to God and closer together. He wants to use our stories. I want to start just with how this is impacted the way that I see people. Um, like Derek, um, I'm going to use the word selfish, and I used it last week. Um, when I first became a part of Finding Life Church, I didn't love people. I really didn't. 
Um, I, w- I just, I loved people when they could help me out with what I needed, basically. Um, when you're in that place, you just see people as if they exist for what you want and need. Not all the time, but most of the time. If I did something good, it was because it benefited me in some way, shape, or form. Either it made me feel good about myself, or in the end, it was going to be reciprocated somehow. Um, or it helped me with my reputation. It made my name great, which was a lot of what I tried to do. But as I prayed for people, even people that I was angry with, as Derek mentioned as well, God began to change my heart. Forgiveness became easier, not just something I could say, but something I could do in my heart, which is totally different. I began to have respect for people, no matter how different they were from me. I began to genuinely care for people like I actually cared. And I could just love people with no strings attached. God began to replace the way I saw people with the way that he sees people. God doesn't see the surface, the mess, the mistakes, the the rough around the edges. He sees a person that he created, that he loves. And you know what? I'm broken just as much as anybody else. So what right do I have to see anybody any differently than the way God sees them? And that's what I came to realize. And I hope that as you pray to be, for, for people to be drawn to the Father, that, that you experience the same kind of feeling, the same kind of change happens in you. And if you haven't ever practiced this, jump in. You know, right now in Life Group, we are doing, we're going through the Discover the Life uh, book, which is the book that teaches these practices that we kind of use. Um, and we're going through that together in Life Group. And if you're not in a Life Group, if you've never tried it, just try it once or twice uh, in the next few weeks. It'll be really easy, no pressure way to get to know these practices. But I urge you to dive in because the reason I urge you to dive in is because God just might use you. He just might use you to save someone's life, to, to, to change someone's life. And that's where I want to finish today. Um, I have a little bit of a unique perspective on this uh, because this is how I ended up here. Because I am that someone whose life was saved. I'm here today because somebody cared enough about me to pray for me. And I've never cried up here, and I might. Just saying. Okay? And the craziest thing in the world happened this morning. I was standing in the lobby, and his son came to church today. I don't know how that happened. It's absolutely nuts, but I'll tell you the story. Um... Around five years ago, I was a sales manager. I was going through a divorce with three kids that were one, three, and five. It's hard to believe now they're six, eight, and 11. Uh, I don't know how I did that, one, three, and five. <laughs> I can barely hold on right now. <laughs> um, anyway, one of my sales reps, his name was Jason, uh, who was part of Riverview Community Church in Ashland, began praying for me. He, by the way, was also impacted this, from what I've heard at least through friends, because his son prayed for him. He and I had a good relationship, but it was a working relationship. We we weren't close friends by any stretch of the imagination, but he cared enough to pray for me. He cared enough to ask me how I was doing. He cared enough to listen when I needed somebody to listen. At that time, I had a huge hole in my life. In the beginning, I tried to fill it with all kinds of stuff. Um, One of them was alcohol. I drank not all day or anything like that, but I drank. And when I drank, I drank. Um, and it was bad. And it, and it started leading me down this path that was going to be really destructive. And I eventually, by God's grace, decided that I needed to pull myself out of the gutter for my kids' sake. Um, and so I asked 
Jason, who had been praying for me. And how does that happen, right? I decided to ask him if he knew of any good churches. And so he connected me with Jake. And, and as they say, the rest is history. Um, God used a coworker of mine to draw me into relationship. Um, he used the, the, the ministry of Finding Life Church to transform me into a kingdom laborer. I thought I was doing all of this for my kids' sake. I even said that when I got baptized. I said, I came here because of my kids. <laughs> God had another plan. So anyway, so my life, which was on the brink of ruin, was changed by God. He used my failure, my mistakes, and a faithful coworker to draw me in. He used this church, this body of people, to make me into a kingdom laborer. He is making something great out of something that was very, very bad. That's what he does. And the truth is, without this church, without this group of people, I have absolutely no idea where I would be today. No idea. It could have been a lot. It could have gone down a really bad path. You know, I think that sometimes we get discouraged, right? We practice this life-giving impact. We pray and we watch. And we get discouraged because we're in a season right now at Finding Life Church where we haven't seen great numbers of people come to faith right? And I'll, I'll admit that. I, I at times wish that I saw it happen more often. I do. But you know what? We get caught up in measuring success by the world standards. That everybody thinks bigger and better is the, way, is the way that things are supposed to be. But you know what? I hope, if anything, that today, um, that we all get reconnected with the fact and if I'm asking you to do anything, it is to renew your belief that every single person matters. Every soul matters. Every life that's changed, that's saved, it matters. Because that life could be your own, your friends, your neighbors, your family, like it was for me. You just never know what you're going to do. God wants you to be involved in his miracles. You know, I want to finish up um, with, uh, and I'll invite the band back up. Um, no, because we're not doing a song. It's just habit. It's just habit. Uh, I'm going to finish up by reading Luke 15, 1 through 7, because I think it is absolutely fitting with what I just said. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous in heaven straight away. Heavenly Father, God, nobody, nothing holds any power over you, God. We know how this whole story ends. You win. Nobody can beat you. You've decided how this is all going to turn out. And even though you already know the outcome, God, 
We thank you that you want us involved in working out your plan. I'm, I just, I'm blown away by the fact that you give us some kind of involvement in it. It's crazy. You want to use us in all of our failures and all of our weakness to draw people into relationship with you. My prayer today, God, for us is that you would move in us, that you would teach our hearts to see people the way that you see them, one person at a time. Teach our hearts to love them the way that you love them. In Jesus' name I pray, we pray, amen. Um, so that wraps us up for this week. We, we did so much up front that we don't have time for another song. So I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for being a part of this body. Um, I just want to say, the last thing I'll say is that, obviously we'll see you next week, right? Um, the other thing I want to say is that our elders are in the lobby. If you guys have questions, if you want to talk, um, whatever you want to talk about, uh, there's nothing off limits. We love you guys. We want to be open and honest with you. And, and so please, if you have questions or you want to talk, we'll be outside um, to talk. So thank you very much. Have an awesome week, and we will see you next week.